What is going on, everyone? And thank you for tuning in to the third episode of season two of the Ronan Bell Show. Today, I brought in my AP government teacher from high school, Bradley Seltzer, who I believe is, first of all, really knowledgeable guy. Second of all, he makes a really big impact on young kids' lives, especially in the terms of political opinion, which is nowadays a really big part of our society and part of our civic duty as well. So make sure you guys listen closely to what he's saying. Try and pick up on something. Try and learn something from what he's saying. But other than that, guys, make sure you hit that follow button so you can stay up to date with the podcast. Hit that subscribe button if you're listening to this on YouTube. That's pretty much all I got, so let's cue that intro. What's going on today, Mr. Seltzer? I'm not a whole lot. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. So how's school with this whole COVID situation? Um, it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's just it's um, presenting a different set of challenges for us. Um, that, that's really, I mean, this week has been really neat because we were slated to come back with the hybrid. So half the kids coming in <laughs> and Monday school was canceled. Um, the big meeting on Monday night, and the kids were back in yesterday, uh, but the majority of them did not come back. I mean, it's 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 been crazy. It's been real tough on the the kids. You know, their their resilience is definitely being tested here. It's like there's no scheduling at all anymore. COVID has right. its own schedule. <laughs> yeah, I, I told the the kids who were here yesterday, and the, of course the ones on on Zoom. I told them it was kind of like. Um, Every night is a potential like snowstorm coming, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like we're living in like, every, but you don't have a radar that you can look at to see if we're actually <laughs> going to get the snow. It says you just have to wake up and, and check and see if we have school. <laughs> oh, it's insane. It's insane. I can't imagine going through high school, especially taking like an AP, an AP class. It's like, yeah. I, I mean, all my classes are online too. So I can't college level course. But it's just, oh, my God, I can't wait. I think everyone can't wait till this is over. Yeah, we've been uh, consistently inconsistent with 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 everything. So that's, <laughs> oh, yeah, well. I, I'm, consistency in any term is good. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so, Mr. Seltzer, before we get into anything else, could you just introduce yourself to the listeners out there? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm Brad Seltzer. I'm um, an AP government and politics teacher and an AP United States history teacher at uh, Springford High School in Roarsford, Pennsylvania. I'm, um, I'm from Norristown myself. I'm born and raised from Norristown right outside of Philly. Um, that's where I went to high school. I went off to uh, Millersville University for my undergrad. Um, I have a master's degree in, in IT, which is appropriate considering what we're doing now with, with all this uh, Zoom stuff these days and, and uh, distance learning. I got that from St. Joseph's University in Philly uh, a couple years ago. And um, yeah, just a father of three, three awesome kids. And I'm, I'm very lucky to have a 12-year-old and, and two 11-year-olds. And that's basically my life is between school here and, and my kids. School, school, some kids, yeah. and, then, and then some more school, obviously. Yeah, and then more school. As soon as they go to bed, it's, it's right back at, at school again. <laughs> you think that like, you know, going to so much school has just helped. I mean, obviously you're kind of the guy that let me keep learning. Like right. why not? There's so much information. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's part of the job. I think at least it's part of the job too, is that we're supposed to demonstrate that to, to the students that, 
you know, the, the people in your life that, that kind of tell you they know everything or they're giving off that vibe that they know everything, you, you want to you keep a little distance there because uh, if there's one thing I know, um, it's that I don't know a whole lot and I would very much would like to know more. So it's just constant, constant refreshing. I mean, every year I kind of throw out my lesson plans and I start from scratch because what might have worked last year, it might not work this year. And we're going to go at it a little different way till we find a way that's, you know, um, copacetic for everybody. <laughs> and every like couple of years, you're pretty much bringing in like a new generation into the classroom. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> And they learn in completely different ways. I would have never thought, like, when I was in elementary school, that one day we wouldn't have chalkboards, we would have a smart board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I'm, I've been around long enough to, to see it. This January, we'll be starting my 19th year of teaching. Uh, so, I mean, I, when I very first started out, uh, I remember grade books, right? So grade books were a thing where I had to write down grades and at the end of a quarter, I had to, they, they trusted me <laughs> to calculate grades uh, at the end of the quarter. I'm not a math guy. There's a reason I teach social studies. And, you know, I remember those, those nights are filling out uh, failure reports to, to mail home. Um, and when I first got my very first um, computerized grade book, I was actually told by my principal to make sure I still have my paper copy because they didn't trust the computer copy. You know, this was back in like 2001, 2002. Um, and it's definitely changed uh, dramatically. And even, even the nature of the kids, you know, the, the, the kids, when I very first started teaching, I was only four years older than, than four and a half years older than those kids. Um, now, like the, these kids are, they're, they're babies <laughs> to me. Um, and there's, there's definitely that generation gap is, is more apparent. Well, especially because now we're in an ever-changing world with technology, I feel like it's going at the rate of a thousand miles per hour every year. Yeah. There's some kind of new thing that's coming out that everyone has to have. Right. And it, the, in education, schools are the same way. It's almost like they want to have this laundry list of technology to show that they use in, in class. And, you know, right now it's, it's the smart boards and the smart boards were on our third or fourth iteration of a type of smart board. And I wouldn't be surprised in, in five or six years if those things are replaced by, by something else. I don't know, holograms <laughs> or something um, in, in class or a Star Trek holodeck, you know, uh, for virtual field trips. I mean, it just, it constantly changes and you have to be able to adapt. I'm, I'm fortunate in that I was born in 1979. So I've been there with uh, home computers, I've been there every step of the way. So with me learning something new, it's just, it's just a baby step, right? It's like learning a new feature to something. Whereas uh, the kids that are kind of born into this world, the assumption is that, that you know, they come out of the womb holding a cell phone. Um, and that's, that's not the case, right? There's a, there's a lot of the learning gaps that the kids have that we, I think we as educators tend to assume that they, they know how to do all this stuff but they, they really don't. They're very good. The kids are very good at figuring out how to stay entertained with, with technology. Um, but in, in terms of usefulness in a classroom, um, there's, there's definitely a learning process. So like I said, I'm, I'm kind of lucky. Um, it's almost like with, with Bane and Batman, right? That, you know, Bane, you know, saying you, you adopted the darkness, man. I was born into it. I played 8-bit video games on uh, Nintendo consoles. Right? <laughs> so uh, every step of the way, we've been there. <laughs> And that's the thing, you kind of get to see the 
each end of the spectrum and obviously the spectrum keeps expanding, but you right. got to see what it was like when at the very beginning of like the internet and technology in general to now where it is and just seeing that evolve over time through the course yep. of your life. I mean, it, it's honestly insane. Cause I can't remember. I honestly remember the only thing that's really different about today is I used to have a phone that like flipped up and had a keyboard. It was so cool. You're the coolest yeah. kid in school if you had one of those. Right. Yeah. And now these these things, I mean, these phones are getting larger and larger by the second. You might as well be carrying around an, an iPad for Pete's sake. And it's it's totally because of the the entertainment value that that's built into it. Like very rarely do people use these things to speak to each other on, on the phone. Um, even even texting. I found myself like I I've become annoyed with receiving text messages. Um, they, that's not what I want my phone for. I want my, I want my phone because I, I subscribe to Audible, and that's where my books are. You know, my phone is, I'm just like the kids in that regard. My phone is primarily my entertainment device, and maybe if there's an emergency with my kids, you can call me. Otherwise, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> and that's like, it's a great thing. You know, technology is great. It's a great tool, but I think that nowadays that it's almost abused as as a tool and people are letting their phone use them instead of using their phone. Sure. Everyone's sucked into like this world of social media and everything that comes out. It, it sucks. Cause I mean, kids nowadays don't really see life through their own eyes. I was talking about that in an earlier episode with my friend Bendy, how that everyone's so sucked into what's happening through their screen. And they're worried about, things that they can't control and will never be able to control. I mean, someone's always going to be better than you at anything. And just sure. now that everything's glorified on Instagram, Facebook and things like that. Yeah. The, the filters that, that people use and you meet them in person and that's, they're totally different, like totally different species. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like that, that's mind boggling to me, but I, I mean, I see it with my own kids. My, my own children kind of occasionally get sucked into their, their little devices. And I think, like, what are you doing? Like the outside, there's, there's a football there, go throw it. You know, there's so much more uh, value to doing that other than, you know, seeing what your little friend said on, on Snapchat. <laughs> yeah. No, but, I, at the end of the day, you're not going to remember that, that Snapchat at all. Right. It goes away in three seconds. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so Mr. Seltzer, um, let's go into a little bit. When you were in college, what did you think that you exactly wanted to do after that? Um, well, I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I, I knew I, I, back in high school, I mean, I, I even, I was one of the lucky ones in high school where I wasn't, I didn't have the, the mad rush to find a college and to figure out my major. Um, I, I'd applied when I was a junior in high school to, to college to get it out of the way because I knew where I wanted, I wanted to go to Millersville because I wanted to be a social studies teacher. And um, I'd, I'd looked into a couple of colleges and Millersville seemed to be the place that had um, like the best job placement rate for people in that major. And I thought, well, it's a no brainer then. Um, so I was fortunate. It was actually, there was a little detour when I was in college um, where I was, I became interested in the army ROTC because I thought if I'm, if I'm going to be a history teacher, uh, obviously there's a lot of, of military history that that's incorporated into the, the history classes. Um, you know, I, I kind of want to experience that. And plus they're, they're kind of willing to pay for college, right? And there's a guaranteed job and I might like it. Like I might, I might enjoy it. And actually I really enjoyed it. Uh, but then another detour happened after I went through uh, the, oh, there was a, 
because I started ROTC late, as I started as a, a sophomore, I had to go to basic training, which, you know, all the horror stories people tell you about basic training, there, there's some grain, grain of truth there, but really, if I can do it, you know, anybody can do it. Um, and I loved it at a great time, but then I got hurt at uh, Fort Indiantown Gap. I fell off of an obstacle <laughs> and uh, bent my knee backwards. So I had to do, you know, I had to prove after I, I recovered, I had to prove, you know, I, I could still attain, you know, physical fitness. I had to do a PT test, which I did. And they submitted those records to what's called the Department of Defense Medical Exam Review Board out at the Air Force Academy called uh, Dodmerb for short. And on my medical records is migraine headaches. And they said, nope, you've, you've got, this, this scholarship is gone. You, you've got migraines. And I said, you've got to be, you could have told me this a long time ago, right? Because I, I dedicated this time to this. I went to uh, Fort Knox for my, my basic training. I went to Fort Lewis, Washington for the, the advanced training. It all, I really, really enjoyed what I was doing. Um, and then, nope, you're done. So I, I jumped into actually at that time in, into student teaching. Um, it was around my senior year. And that's when September 11th happened. And at that point, um, I received a call from Major Duncan Currier, who was my, my ROTC professor, saying, Dodd Merb has reconsidered. And I said, well, so have I, because <laughs> I'd already had a job offer um, you know, to, to go and teach after I was done student teaching. So that just kind of went off course and then came, came right back on. Uh, it is what it is. <laughs> it's insane how life works. kind of works. That. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's insane yeah. how life can kind of come full circle, like in the blink of an eye. Yeah. And be, being a teacher when that all happened, do you exactly remember like the exact moment where like you turned on the TV and everything about? I absolutely. Do. Absolutely, I do. I was student teaching in um, Philadelphia at Overbrook High School. And I happened to be in um, the social studies each department had its own like planning room. And I happened to be in there at the time. And of course we're social studies teachers. So naturally we had a TV on to the news. So we, we watched that live, absolutely. I mean, I, I can even tell you the color of the shirt I had on, the, the car I was driving and the route I took home um, afterwards. I was, it was flashbulb memories, what they call it in psychology. I, it's like my parents know where they were for uh, the Kennedy assassination, um, just down to the detail. It's insane how the brain works in that way, how like these traumatic events just stick in engrave into your mind when, you know, things do hit the fan. And obviously being a social studies teacher about with like such a big event happening. And now that's in every history book that we've, that at least I've ever read in my entire life. And the fact that it's just, it's insane about how big that really that really was in life, literally life in the United States. You, would you say it, like it changed in a matter of seconds? Oh yeah, I mean instantaneously it, it, it changed. I mean the the way things were on that morning, <laughs> by that afternoon, things were markedly different, and they've not gone back. Um, that's why in, in the history courses, it's pre nine eleven, and then uh, post nine eleven world is, is part of my my last unit that I teach in AP US history and to the students in the class, like you said, that's the world you grew up in. So you don't know any different that it, it used to be a, a heck of a lot easier, uh, things as simple as getting onto an airplane or what you could, could bring with you onto the airplane. It used to be a lot easier, a lot, lot simpler, um, but that's, that's no longer the case. 
and as time goes on, I mean, obviously, I don't know if we would have had everything as it is today because of that, or even if it didn't happen. But the fact that, you know, time's always moving. It's always moving. There's always some complexity to it that everything's going to evolve at some point in time. And obviously, that kind of uh, expedited the process a little bit. Sure. And it's, I mean, things involving um, American civil liberties, you know, were, were very challenged and, and, and tested at the time. And of course, we know a lot about that because of guys like Edward Snowden, right, um, with releasing what, what was going on with the National Security Agency and the understanding that of the warrantless wiretappings and so forth and so on, or, or warrantless uh, uh, acquiring your email data, uh, the type, you know, what's the IP addresses that you're sending email to, so forth and so on. And, and then, you know, I, I always find the one, there's a meme out there I find very funny that we used to be afraid about, you know, talking to strangers or, or what have you. And now it's just, you ask this, this robot in, in your living room to turn on the music, like Alexa, turn on, you know, blues music for me or, or something. Um, and it's perfectly fine. And you don't care if there's, a, you know, an NSA spy listening to you. You might become, get on a first name basis with them. I and mean, it doesn't matter as long as he gives you the recipe that you're looking for, you're, <laughs> you're fine with it. <laughs> oh, and it's normalized now. That's a yeah. thing. It's like you go everywhere and the, there's always someone. I remember that Zach, was, Zach, the former Nittany Lion, was saying that like everyone, someone's always watching you. Well, someone is always watching you. Some, the FBI agent in my computer cam is probably watching me right now. Right. <laughs> hey, Bill, what's up? <laughs> like, it's insane how, and now we're normalized with it. Like, it's, it, it happens. There's nothing we can do about it. This, we're not yeah. powerful enough to even, even think about having any impact on that, which is, in my mind, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah there's a there's a lot of you. It's a lot of I, I guess an application of faith, and also understanding. You know, the, the the government I don't think is quite large enough to, and they don't. I don't think really think they would necessarily care what what I'm up to on, on my computer at at any given time. Um, so there's a there's a little bit of just faith that you know I'm not I'm not involved with with ISIS or or anybody. Um, although now that I said that on, on a podcast, like you said, it's probably going to set off some bells. So maybe make those uh, NSA guys earn their money. <laughs> yeah, I might see Mr. Seltzer's picture at the airport next time we can do that. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but um, something else that I want to talk to you about is just being a political science teacher, a U.S. history or a politics teacher and government teacher, history teacher. Why do you think that kids nowadays really overlook that aspect of you know knowledge and honestly their civic duty um that's a that's a great question that even uh the uh, former associate justice sandra day o'connor acknowledged that and and put forth some of her own money for a a program called i civics and the, the purpose of that program was to make civics and government class more interesting for kids because i personally i i see it there's a difference between my, my two courses. Um, when I have a student who takes AP history and then they take my AP government course, I mean, they, they tell me that they're learning things in the government course, but the history course was so much more interesting. Right? And that's because civics does tend to be a, a little bit dry. I mean, we spend a lot of the year, about half of it, just going through the constitution, right? And the three branches of government um, and the, the political efficacy levels of, of people um, in American society are are extraordinarily low. And part of it is because maybe it's a little bit dry. Um, I don't think, 
personally that um, the education systems across the country emphasize it um, quite as much as they, they used to. Um, you know, of course, now the, a lot of the interests are in the, the STEM activities. Um, whoops, of course, my phone's ringing there. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Uh, but anyway, a lot of the interest is in those, those STEM activities, which, which makes perfect sense with the advancements in science and, and the technology. Uh, but, but we lose out on the ideals of a republic, which is, like you said, it's your, your civic duty to understand how this works. I mean, it's, it's very difficult to fool a knowledgeable public. Um, and, and it's very easy to fool a, an ignorant public. And that's, that's, that's kind of a shame. And I know there's a little bit of, of hope because at least voter turnout or participation in this last presidential election was really, really high, like unusually high. I uh, haven't seen these numbers in, in, a, in quite a long time um, as far as a percentage of, of the eligible voters turning up. But I can almost guarantee you in our municipal elections coming up this spring, we're going to go right back down to 10, 12 percent uh, voter turnout. And that local government is probably the most important government in your life. Uh, and people just they just don't they just don't show up. And it's it's unfortunate. And I, like I said, it's not like I can't um, be as exciting as Mr. Leopold here in his science classes. Uh, like I, I'm not attaching things to the International Space Station or to a rocket to be sent to the space station. Um, and that's that's exciting stuff. Um, there's not a lot of room for creative writing in, in the class to, to get some of that uh, artistic expression doesn't come out in, in this type of a course. But it's extraordinarily important. Uh, so we have to find other ways to be entertaining and engaging with, with students to demonstrate to them why it's so important. Well, the big thing that I thought really helped with the voter turnout this year was just how easy it was i feel like no one ever really knew before that this election about how easy it was to sign up and vote and right. people over people overlooked that for so long i don't want to say that your generation so much because i feel like the middle class and the middle age or the middle aged americans um rather had a rather they've always been voting because that's what they've been taught they've realized that i need to sign up and my generation so much just was like oh well i mean how much does my vote really matter? And I feel like when I came up, that like at least in high school, that that was really talked about a lot. The fact that I'm just one person, like how big of a difference can it really make? Right. Well, um, as as a, you almost said, middle ages there with referencing my age, <laughs> like the <laughs> we're to like talking about like the 1200s. <laughs> I'm not. I'm 41 years old. I'm not quite that old. But um, my my generation, I guess, would be the the, the Gen Xers. Uh, they're in the same boat as, as you. There's very low ter voter turnout with, with my generation as well when, when we were your age. Um, and usually what you see happening over time is as people age, they're more likely to participate um, in elections. And uh, right now, where, where you're sitting right now um, is a reason why uh, a lot of people your age don't vote, right? The 18 to 25-year-old voting cohort, they've got a lot going on. And a good number of them are either entering into the workforce for the very first time and working themselves to death, or they're far off away at college, right? And you're don't like I, I went to Millersville, so I could drive home to vote. It was only an hour drive. It was wasn't a big deal. Um, whereas you, you kids going to Alabama or whatever, or going uh, California for their education, you know they're not necessarily going to make it home. And the the process for filing absentee ballots 
has to be done. It follows a schedule, follows a legal timeline that is not made abundantly clear to people. And this time around, I think there was more because there was advertising upon advertising on television, especially here in Pennsylvania, about the use or the requesting of, of mail-in ballots, which are different than the, the absentee ballots. And I think that had an awful lot to do with the increased participation. I mean, it was all over. How many times did you turn on Facebook and Facebook popping that information right in your face, <laughs> talking about this is how you vote, uh, click here to, to register and, and all that type of stuff. You, we didn't see that before. Um, so maybe if, if that can keep happening, we could keep those numbers up. But I, um, I wouldn't say I'm pessimistic. I'd say I'm a little bit more realistic that, um, of course, presidential elections draw much more attention. And your local and uh, local and state municipal election uh, type of uh, events, generally it's, you know, the, the people coming from the, the nursing homes or, or the retirement communities out, out to vote. And young people are just just absent because there you have a lot of barriers in, in your way to to be able to do that. And you're you're not wrong when you said lots of young people think that their vote doesn't matter. I remember a few years back, maybe uh, maybe it was eight years ago or, or so, but I, I remember I was teaching here at Springford, and I remember uh, anonymous. There's videos on YouTube, anonymous, but really. Uh, suggesting that your votes didn't count and um, that even if you if you did vote, it didn't matter. The winner was already selected and people were buying that stuff. Now I worked at uh, at election polls as a uh, as a constable. Right, my father is a state constable, and the constables are responsible for security at polls, which means <laughs> basically I would take donuts to the the judge of elections and the other old ladies sitting there. Uh, but at the end of the night. Um, with the, the, the voting machines, they would print out the tally, and I would uh, take the judge of elections down to a location in Norristown to drop off these tallies where they would be double-checked versus, um, you know, the voter registration numbers and the signatures of people, people showing up. Like, there's a, a long process people go through. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a thankless job. It's a tireless job that they go through. To make it happen. It was kind of upsetting to me back then when the kids saw, well, Anonymous have sold this video. It's already rigged. This person's already going to win. And I think that's, well, then the other guy's already won, right? The, the, then the Republic is just just dead at this point because you're, you're just throwing in the towel. <laughs> well, I think the big part about that is that people in that 18 to 25 age range, they don't really have to worry about who's elected president until it's too late when it actually affects them. Cause right. up till now, I mean, I, I think I have the, my taxes are insanely low. If I even have to pay the slightest amount probably, and I'll get a tax return eventually because in the thing with today's society is that if it doesn't affect me, why do I care? Sure. Yeah, I understand that. And that's why, that's why um, it lends credence to the fact that the older you get, the more likely you are to participate. Um, and it also folds into the life cycle effects as to um, the, the, the party that you tend to vote for over time uh, can, can change based upon your interaction with, with government. And as you get older, there's gonna be more reliance when you get to that social security uh, age or uh, if you're re, uh, receiving uh, Medicare benefits, you know, you're you're we're way more likely to to show up and vote, which is, you know, the older 
age levels or older voting cohorts are the ones that, that turn up every election. I don't know if you remember um, in, my, in my classes, I always tell students that the next election day, um, go out to a diner and, you know, tell me about the people that you're going to see at this, this diner because you're going to see lots of elderly people out and about. It is a big deal to them to get out and about. They get all dressed up nice, right, to go vote, and they make an, they make an event out of it. Whereas, you know, you're in college, you're not going to be able to, to do that. Um, other people, they might be working crazy shifts or have to run their kids here, there, and ev everywhere and might not be able to, to swing that. And the, the thing that I, and the point I want to get into next a little bit is taking your class and obviously these things that, you know, politics is like a really big role in your everyday life. No matter what you do later in life, no matter where you've came from, that politics always hits you. Like the government is always going to come around right. and have some port, some port, uh, some portion of impact in your life. And what do you think that the most important part of like your class is to these younger kids because most of the kids that take your class are what 16 17 18 yes. at the most yeah yep. mostly juniors and seniors are, are in yeah. yeah um in terms of the the most important obviously we're i would like them to do well on the ap exam right so let me get that out of the way i would like them to do well on that and maybe cut back a little bit of what they're going to have to have as as far as student loans go because <laughs> um, I, I know what that feels like um, but but really, it's just that the, the increasing their knowledge and increasing um, their their efficacy levels in terms of their internal and their ex external efficacy, how much they know of, of our system and how much they think they can affect change within the system, right? that they are an integral part uh, w within the system. And that's why at, at one, one point, we used to have the kids go out to local government meetings as, as a requirement for the course just to, to get that participation going. Um, you know, we, we do a number of things to, to try to get them out and about, get them connected with um, the, the, the Board of Elections on Election Day. If they're 18, then they can go work as, as election workers. Um, but really, it's just that you, you do matter. It is your government. It's a government of the people, right? It's, it's your government. And if you are displeased with, with something, like you said, it's every part of your life, there's government involvement. We do that activity in class where, you know, we detail from the time you wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed on any given day, here's how the government played a role in, in your day um, throughout, from the little sticker that's on the plug for your, your alarm clock, um, to the FCC regulations with your cell phone, to the, the food regular. I really have fun talking about the, the FDA regulations of what's allowed to be in your food <laughs> in the cafeteria, uh, how many rodent hairs can be in peanut butter and, and so forth. But it's, it is everywhere. It's, it's inescapable. It's absolutely everywhere. And to just have the knowledge and the confidence that, that you have the knowledge, regardless of how you score in the AP exam, because that's just, that's just a test given on one day um, about random topics from this massive curriculum, right? Um, but I, I feel very confident in the students who take AP government. I think they know more <laughs> than a lot of our elected elected officials. Um, and I think that the, the AP Gov kids here could, could take some of our elected officials to school um, and, and let them know, well, here's what Article 1 actually says. <laughs>
And here's the thing. When I walked into Mr. Salter's class, I will be the first person to tell you that I had no idea even what a Democrat <laughs> Democrat and a Republican was. I was so lost. I had no idea. The only thing that I knew was what my parents told me. And being obviously, Mr. Seltzer, you have your own political opinion. We don't have to get into it. But the point that I like to make is that you were very unbiased. And I know that there's that point where you kind of i'm sure that there's that urge to like throw in your two cents or something about this topic but staying at that unbiased level to make sure that these kids are getting each end of the spectrum if and i remember i remember taking one of those like online quizzes that really showed what political party that you could that you end up in based on you know a couple beliefs and the fact that you would be able to, you know, no matter what anyone scored, if they were right in the middle, if they were all right, if they were all left, you still gave them the same respect. Because at the end of the day, I mean, everyone has their own opinion. Right. Yeah, and then I, I think it's um, it's espousing my, my, my own political beliefs. I don't really do that um, anywhere um, except in, in the voting booth. I, I don't, I don't, I really, at least I try not to, um, especially now, if you do it on social media, then you know you might lose half your family from ever speaking to you again, or half your friends. Um, but I, I try to try to let that just kind of kind of sit in my mind and uh, be be more silent um, and be thinking about about what I believe and what does candidate X represent versus what candidate Y represents. And in a classroom as a teacher, um, you know this is a this is a personal thing that I, I feel. That it's irresponsible for for teachers to do. First of all, the, what's the benefit? So, if I if I were to turn you all into let let's say my my party was well, just pick one, the Green Party or whatever. If I would turn you all into uh, little little Green Party members, so what? What what's that going to do in my life? So there's 30 of you <laughs> that I'm able to convince, and I think too as a parent, I certainly would not want that happening. Uh, with, with with my children going to school, and I've I've experienced it uh, as a student. I've experienced it in, in when I was in high school, and again when I was in college, I experienced it. Um, and I, I noticed that you know it really didn't affect what I thought having a, a overtly biased instructor, um, but it made me think. Well, you you seem to have a, a hard time seeing other points of view, um, and that's 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 important in political discourse is being able to button up and listen to what the other side or what the other person happens to say, because I don't think anybody comes from like a, uh, a position of, of just evil or, or anything. Uh, people certainly might come from a position where they're just not knowledgeable about something. Um, and there's a way that you can handle that, that, that doesn't involve getting into these, these shouting matches. And I, I kind of employ that with my students. If somebody fires off some political rhetoric, well, I might pump the brakes, and we're we're going to talk about that, um, and we're we're going to talk about the the origins of that statement and uh, what it is, what it is that you are trying to assert, and then how can you defend that opinion with you know factual evidence, because otherwise it, it you know it, it's just an opinion thrown on a meme with a picture of Baby Yoda or something, <laughs> and then and then that's it. But if if you want to take a stand on an issue, well, you know the burden of proof is now on you. Um, so you need to prov provide that factual evidence, and you also have to be prepared for people to disagree with you. That's what I, I like about some of the like like the Joe Rogan show. I like because he does not agree with everybody who's on that show, 
but he listens, right? There's been studies done on just his facial expressions uh, when, when he's talking to people and whether or not he agrees with them. And it's a, he, he just listens. And that's, that's an important, I guess, maybe the art of listening seems to have been lost. And there's nothing for me to gain as a teacher to uh, get students to vote the way I vote. We're not going to swing any election by doing that. And I think that a lot of times it's either a, a teacher who, who might do that. I don't know any who really do that, but I, I would think it's somebody with who's driven by ego um, or they're just, they're, they cannot see through their passion, um, which is an important thing to be able to do in life is to realize an emotional response. Sometimes you have to pump the brakes and uh, slow it down a little bit. So, yeah, it's and it's not it's not in the curriculum. Like what Mr. Seltzer's political affiliation is not in the College Board's curriculum. So it's it's totally not. But I've had students look and be able to find out what what, what my party affiliation was. But you know that was on them. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and the, to some it, it confirmed, and to some they they couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I like the point that you were making about just listening. How you said like listening is a lost art. And especially with, at least I think that my generation, that everyone's caught up in their own beliefs, like you were saying, that if it's, if it's not what I think, then, then who cares? Like, why should I even bother hearing the other side? There's a balance in everything that you right. do, especially with whatever opinion, because somebody could be talking to you and you could be like, wow, that actually kind of makes sense. But since I'm so ignorant that I'm not even going to give you the time of day to get out your point or at least somewhat at least make an impact on what you're saying because everyone nowadays is so so single-minded there it's like a straight line almost that everyone just likes to believe in their own their own thing and, and the thing is that most of these people don't have facts to back it up like you were right. saying earlier that you can say whatever you want but unless you have evidence to support it, it doesn't mean anything yeah, I mean, that, that's how it works. I mean, that's how that's how our legal system works. That you can you can make accusations against people till you're blue in the face. But if you don't have evidence, it doesn't matter what you think. It matters what you can prove. Um, and then a lot of these these discussions or these arguments, I guess, especially the the internet-based arguments that people have, I wonder, is it really worth it? That you know, if it's somebody that you know, is it really worth it that you're so, I guess, single-handedly determined to prove that you are correct, that you are willing that this person might not be in your life anymore? And to me, that's not—it's not worth it. It's—it's it's just not worth it to me. And it, it's so easy on, on social media to do it, especially with people. That, that you don't know. That's why I, 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 admonish, I admonish people with YouTube accounts or, or with, with podcasts, don't read the comments, you know, stay out of the comments because, I mean, it's just, it's just nastiness in, in comments because I, I don't get it. I don't understand. I guess it's somebody can fire something off and they know, you know, they got you. They took a little piece of your soul that day, as David Goggins would say. So I would just, you know, just ignore the comments, um, engage in discourse. And to me, it's often very funny if you look at members of Congress who um, on television, on whether they're on, on Fox or CNN, giving interviews or what have you, they seem like they despise each other. 
But if you watch C-SPAN, when they're in session, there they are talking and, and chumming it up, like probably saying, well, hey, how's your grandkids doing? Like they're, they're able to do that. They're kind of putting on an act when they're on television. Um, meanwhile, when they don't realize the C-SPAN cameras are on or that you know, people like me occasionally will, will watch it <laughs> and you see them conversing with each other like there's, you know, they're, they're long lost friends or they're, 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 they're buddies from, uh, you know, their, their youth until now. Um, it's, it is possible to disagree with somebody and, and still to, to get along with them. Yeah, not everyone. I mean, in anything that you do, not everyone's going to like what you do. There's always someone going to try and bring you down. It's just, it's part of it. Not, right. not everyone is going to like what you're going to do, no matter what it is. No matter, no matter how good of evidence that you support, you could put everything out. You could be 100% right, and then someone's going to say, well, I think you're wrong. And right. it, and it's, it is what it is. It's, I mean, human nature at the end of the day, because you're going to believe whatever you want to believe to your right. opinion. And yep. it, yeah. Part of it is that just pe- people just, they just love, they just love, love, love thinking that they're right. Even when they're wrong, especially nowadays when you can find, even if it's like, as, as the Don would like to say, fake news, that there's something <laughs> out there that can kind of back up your opinion, even if you're wrong. Right. Yeah, there's plenty of stuff on the on the interwebs, uh, whether it whether it's valid or not, or whether it's uh, misinterpretation or uh, misrepresentation of, of data. Data. I learned this when I took a research course doing my master's degree that it's really easy to make data say whatever you want it to say. So just make it say what you want to say to get the good grade uh, on, on this paper. So and that stuff it, it, it abounds everywhere. There's uh, only only partial takes on, on things that there's you will find something to prove what you believe or you will find proof for what you believe um, because you're going to be searching for it when you when you pump it into Google Google's going to going to hit the or get those top sites coming back to you that are going to confirm what you believe I mean I don't I don't think Google will be around very long if when people search for things uh, the first result was, the complete opposite of what you believe. They're going to do that confirmation bias uh, where you think, look, there's 1.3 million results here that this, this is all saying the same thing. And it's just a matter of uh, uh, what a machine is programmed to do to return results to you. And segueing into something else I want to talk about is I, I remember like when I came into class, there's always some kind of book on your desk. There's uh, <laughs> if you can, if you're watching on YouTube, Mr. Seltzer has got a plethora of books in the background here. <laughs> and the point that I'm, I want and the question I want to ask you is that like, I feel like reading today, not cool anymore. No one wants to read a book. No one wants to just try and learn something. They think it's boring. They just think it's a waste of my time. How important do you feel like reading is? Um, it is absolutely uh, pinnacle of, of importance. I mean, it, it takes, like you said, it's boring and it takes a lot of time. It takes patience. It takes dedication and a little bit of discipline uh, to, to just read, whether it's reading for enjoyment or reading for uh, the acquisition of knowledge. I mean, if there's study upon study with, with neuroscience about what happens to your brain when you are engaged in reading. And there's differences even if you're reading something on a screen um, versus you know, holding a book and having that tactile experience with you know, the different types of uh, pages they, they use, the different types of fonts that are in the book. 
Um, the little bunny ears on the side when you, you, you leave a spot where you left off, or maybe you used a dollar for a bookmark and you get excited because, you know, you found a dollar in your book. Um, there's just a different experience. And uh, that's why I, I make sure that I, I dedicate um, at least at least 30 minutes a day. I find time to just everything else is turned off and, and I'm reading something. Um, it's for my benefit for teaching, right? I'm always finding out new things to bring up in, in class, uh, new topics, or to refresh my memory. On, you know, APUSH, we cover the, the history of the United States from, you know, really 10,000 BCE to the present day. And I don't recall everything all the time. So brushing up on that or just, it's a, sometimes it's just a nice escape where there, there are some benefits. And I, I don't see, when I first started teaching, there was always a handful of kids that everywhere they went, they were carrying a book. Everywhere they went, I don't see that at all anymore. I don't. I see everywhere you're going, there's a phone, and maybe you're reading something that's on the phone or, or on the iPad, uh, but you don't see the the physical books. Our our library here ha has transformed. I think they did that when when you were here to from the yeah. the media center to to having. Uh, uh, more of an integration of the STEM technologies uh, in there. And I, Mr. Landis, another teacher here, and I rescued a lot of books uh, <laughs> um, from the library, and they're now in our classroom because there's it's always, there's a quote by Thomas Jefferson that I like that's, um, I cannot live without books. And I, I absolutely feel that way. And the thing is that nowadays the, there's so many other ways to get information that you can kind of, we're in a generation now and we're at a time where you can do two things at once, supposedly, even though there's many studies that say that you can only do one thing at a time. You can only focus on one thing that you're doing that you can listen to a book. You can listen to this podcast and just, it, it's insane how you're really not going to, pick up on as much as if you are reading something because right. you're doing you're doing more things your brain's working in multiple ways you're seeing you're reading it you're understanding the concepts and i feel like the, it's just it's going to be lost one day that we will never have a book on the shelf i honestly cannot remember going to the library and seeing someone take out a book I, i'm right. i'm just as I'm just as guilty as it as well. I mean, I don't think I ever checked out a book in high school, but now as I've gotten a little bit older, a little bit more mature, I've realized that, wow, like you can actually learn something from these books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, there's something to be said about just the experience of sitting down in that, that quiet spot, or if you're, you're riding on the train, going somewhere, whatever it is, and, and holding the book in your hand, like I said, I have the, the Audible subscription, so I, I absolutely listen because it takes me forever to get to my kids to, to pick them up after school. So I, I like to listen to books sometimes, podcasts other times. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, I will remember what's in this physical book here much better. My, my recall of what's in this physical book will be much higher than what I listen to on, uh, on Audible or, or what have you, or even just, just read from a screen. The, the recall in this book kind of stays here. Um, whereas what I do on Audible is mostly just entertaining things I'm, I'm just interested in, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily going to be turning around and teaching about it in, in class in, in the future. Um, and it's, it's, it's unfortunate. I would hope. I hope that you're wrong. I hope that, that books um, last. I do my, my part <laughs> in trying to make sure there's a market for books out there. Um, but I, I, yeah, I think you're, you're on to something there, at least with the decreasing relevance of, of books over time. And to me, it's, 
it, it kind of reminds me of um, like the reverse of what happened with the advent of the printing press. You know, the printing press made it possible for, for uh, books to be printed in local language and increased literacy rates throughout Europe at the time. Now, if we go the other direction um, and you don't have the device or you don't have the connectivity or your, your battery's out, you're, you're gone, you're out in the dark. If you know we have a thunderstorm and the power goes out here, I can still read my book because I have a candle or a flashlight. I, I can read my book, um, but I, I can't do that on you know, a device that I'm dependent on the internet connection for. Well, I think the big problem with that is too is that having a physical copy of a book is way more expensive than just downloading on your phone or downloading on your computer, iPad, whatever you choose to read on. In in like economic terms, obviously, someone that wants to read a book is going to have that inclination to just oh wow it's twelve dollars cheaper might as well buy the might as well just read it on my iPad whether they like it or not and something that I've realized at least being a college student is that all of these textbooks are online in a hundred times cheaper than going and buying the physical copy, even though if you do buy the physical copy, like you were saying, and I know that there's studies behind it, that you will learn way more. You'll be able to retain the information way better. And the next point I want to get into is that if you had, obviously, I know you've read hundreds of books, hundreds of books. (laughs) And if you gave like a recommendation, what do you think like the most, the best book that you've read is? So I toy around with this a lot, and I guess it all depends on, on the context of the, the person that's asking me the question. Um, maybe if it's a kid from a, a, my AP history class, it's going to be a different answer than to somebody from the government class. But I'd say as far as impactful in, in my life, a book that I think every person can take something from uh, would be uh, the work called Meditations uh, by the, the Stoic Roman Emperor uh, Marcus Aurelius, uh, which is is really I know Stoicism has has recently kind of come under fire uh, by the the APA, um, and I, I can kind of see where they're coming from in, in to some degree. But uh, from from Marcus Aurelius, it's it's mostly about mastering of of self, and mastering of self begins with you know, being able to master your emotions and seeing things for as they are, right? At this point, I think you referenced this earlier on. Um, there's very little that, that you can control, actually. What you can control is you. And that goes forward to another work called Man's Search for Meaning uh, by Viktor Frankl, who is a survivor of the Holocaust. And in his work is about how they, they found little things every day to, to be happy about. Right? I mean, these are people living in, in concentration camps, right? And able to find something every day to, to keep their spirits up a, a little bit um, so that they would not fall into despair because he figured if I fall into despair, then that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm just that mastery. Like to me, that's like the pinnacle of mastering yourself. Like I, I don't know how somebody is able to do that. It's really remarkable. Uh, but again, like that, that stoic literature I, I like because it's, we're so prone to that emotional response to, to things. And like we talked about before with the, uh, the, the vitriolic responses on, on Facebook or, or Twitter, you get type that response and, and you, you get that, uh, that feeling of catharsis, I guess, afterwards. And uh, the Stoic will say, well, maybe you write that down and think about it 
and then later come back and, and see if you really want to want to say this to the person. Um, it's not about dismissing the emotion that you have. It's about realizing what it is, a little self-awareness. And uh, I'm going to reference Donald Trump again. And the, the point that I'm not politically in any sense, but the point that he made is that we're so everything's instant nowadays, no matter what you do is that it's, you know, you post something and it's there. Like it happens in a matter of milliseconds that whatever your opinion is, whatever you're feeling that day, it's there. And I like that you're saying that you need to really think about something before you say, because I feel like that's lost nowadays. What Donald Trump would say is that, oh, I have Twitter and 10, 20 years ago, I would write a letter to someone if I had something and I'd write it the night before I'd read it again and realize like, Oh, I need to change this. This sounds awful. And that's the problem with today. The everything's just, everything is so instant. Everyone wants that, that big term uh, instant gratification that no matter what they do, they want an immediate response that in, in life in general, you just got to be patient. Nothing happens. You have to be the very lucky 0.0001% to have something happen overnight that you really want like to happen and that's that's i feel that it's a problem nowadays that no one's patient no one has patience right yeah i mean it that instant gratification is definitely quite problematic i mean we we have that here as teachers if we if i receive an email from a parent that's very upset <laughs> about something i know i'm not writing back right away i'm, I'm not going to do that i if it, if it gets to me I think, well, you know, this is total nonsense that, that you're emailing me or you're speaking to me this way in the email. I have to back away from that initial. And I, I'm lucky. I know I can feel it. You know, I can feel it right in my chest. My chest gets tight. And sometimes you can feel your heart pounding in your chest. I know that's a good time for me to, to disengage and to think about it and come back. Because, I mean, think about it when you're, you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off. Your inclination is to slam on the horn and, you know, make hand gestures at them or roll down the window and yell at them. But perhaps, you know, per, perhaps they just didn't know you were there, right? Per, perhaps in the email, perhaps there's something that's lost because you're not speaking to this person. Same thing with a, a social media post. You're not, I, I highly doubt that people would still talk to each other uh, the way they do on social media in person. Highly doubt that that would happen. It is so much easier to fire off that little comment or fire off the little statement um, in the email response to the, to the angry parent, hit send, and then you're, you're done. You, you walk away, you're, you're done with it. And then you've got this, I don't know, put, put your crown on your head because you, you've won some internet points or something. <laughs> um, but I, I find much... It's much easier to control my blood pressure and much easier to get some sleep at night if you, you demonstrate that, that patience. And it's I kind of like uh, being yeah. uncommon today is, is to be patient. I just think that one day, maybe one day, that everyone can just, you know, take a step back and really just think about something before, it, you know, it, it ends up in your thumbs and then you're typing it out. <laughs> That I, it's just, it's, it's nuts to me. I feel like if more people read over or just reread something over again, that it would really just make them think twice about what they're, what they're about to say and what they're about to do. I just remember like, I, I mean, I have TikTok and I use it for, I use it for my podcast as well. And the thing that I like, I see these kids posting is they just glorify image. Right. And to some people that, that, really hurts 
them they'll they'll see that and like well i don't like dang like i don't do that i don't i don't try and make this this move i don't do i don't look this good and the and it's just it's insane that my at least my generation i feel like it's way it's really impactful because everyone cares about what someone else has to say in any in any sense nowadays in any sense yep i i definitely would would tend to agree with you on that and it's it's unfortunate, especially what you said with uh, the the image. It's about the image that you portray from, you know, whatever it is that's going on 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 TikTok to you know putting filters over yourself to make you look like a completely different person. Um, it's it's about what you can put forth in in the the I guess the public forum of the internet. I I oftentimes think before I post things online that this this is an interesting thing that we have where we have a record now of you know each individual's thoughts for from the time that they've signed up for this service until that service is gone or or whatever we have this record it's not going to go even when you hit delete on something it's still there um we have this record of your thoughts along the way and i have to wonder like i wonder my grandchildren or my great-grandchildren if they see this what they would think of me um, what, what's a future generation going to think of us when they see that I, I was clearly obsessed, I don't know, with um, arguing with somebody about the validity of an election or something to the point where it boiled down where I called them Hitler and they called me Stalin <laughs> or something. And they, I wonder what or a petty argument that people are broadcasting my, my personal news <laughs> all over the place. I would wonder what my, you know, uh, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, what, what they would think about that. And, I, you know, or is this going to get into the hands of, you know, another student at my kid's school? And they, this is going to be embarrassing to, to my kid, right? Again, it's, it's that whole to take a step back and there's the most important things that happen oftentimes in people's lives are totally unintended, right? It's unintended consequences. Um, and to, to think Perhaps this isn't the best idea. And what am I really going to get from this? Now, part of that's my personality. I'm, I'm not very interested in, um, you know, winning an argument with somebody. You know, if we're going to debate and stand on the stage, right, then I want to win that, right? I'm going to prepare and I'm, <laughs> I'm there to win. But if I'm just arguing with you, like, I'm, I'm not interested in just demonstrating my dominance or, or what have you. Um, I'm more interested in the interpersonal relationship that, that you have with, with uh, the individual. Um, so, I mean, maybe it's, it's my, my own personal bias or my own my personality coming out a little bit there. But I, I do think about that a lot, that I don't know if I would want, you know, my, my, my children seeing their dad, I don't know, doing shots when he was 21 years old or something. I, I don't think that's a, a great idea. <laughs> and I like the, um, the, the point that you're making about how it's not so much, I don't think you're worried about what the future holds in the sense. It's just being smart about what you're doing now to help your future at all. Obviously, something that you posts now can affect you later on and people are worried about they're they're not even worried about what is happening what is going to happen 20 years down the road with that post and i don't like i don't like worrying about the future i think that people are way too caught up i think that's what causes a lot of anxiety in especially my generation nowadays that you just need to focus on what you're doing 
now rather than what's going to happen 20 years later or what's going to even happen the next day because that's something like you can't control that you cannot control what something like what is going to happen later down the road and the yeah and i even though that you're saying that I like the point that you're making about how it can affect you in the future and being a little bit more hesitant to what you're posting, because I think that's completely different than worrying than that, what you're posting or what you're saying or what you're writing, because when you're, when you're worrying, it's obviously because you think you made a bad choice, right? When you can rethink it over again, you're obviously way more confident in what you're about to write or say. Right. It's almost like the, the adage that, uh, you know, an ounce of, was an ounce of caution or an ounce of prevention is worth more than a pound of, of cure. Just, just an ounce of like thinking about things a little bit. Um, and, and that's why, again, going back to Marcus Aurelius, I, I like that. I like, I like knowing when, um, I feel that my heart beating in my chest or I'm, I'm getting short of breath or my chest is getting tight or I can feel my face turning red. I like recognizing that that's probably a bad time for me to engage with somebody, whether the, I'm in person with them or whether it's, it's through an email or something. Um, and just being able to recognize maybe this isn't, isn't the best idea or maybe there, there's, there's some other things that you'd rather, if you're talking about social media, maybe, maybe some other things that you, you'd rather highlight um, in your life. But, but who knows, maybe I, I've got people on my friends list that are, it is just a, a stream of consciousness is, is what happens um, on, on theirs. And there's, I don't necessarily judge them for it. I think perhaps there's some, some catharsis they're feeling from, from other things going on in their life by, by doing that. Um, but for me personally, I, I try to be, try to be hesitant. Um, and then, like I said, about the unintended consequences uh, of things that are not absolutely necessary, uh, for, for me to share, of course, things in the future, of course, we, we, we've seen this happen time and time again. Of course, things can be taken out of context. It happens all the time accidentally, and it happens purposely all the time. I don't, I don't so much worry about that. Uh, as much as I worry about, I, I don't, I don't really know if, if everybody needs to see that this part of my life uh, right now, or everybody needs to, to see that I'm, I'm, I'm in my, they're going to get my wrath or, or what have you, that I've got to get this stuff out and off my chest or something else I can do to go do. I might go do some push-ups or something. I'll, I'll feel better. Yeah. Or go, go outside for a hike. I'll feel better. Yeah. Um, segueing to something else I want to get into is obviously being a teacher is a really big thing to do, whether that you realize it or not, because you're impacting, you're impacting a bunch of kids lives. Like over the course of your career, you're probably taught thousands of kids. And I just want to ask you the question of like, what life lessons do you think that, or wisdom in general, do you think that you've attained through, you know, this career in your job? Ah, Boy, so I tell you what, when I when I started out teaching, I thought I knew everything and I was going to be like national teacher of the year. And I found out very quickly that I, I knew very little. <laughs> so that that's that's one of the one of the things I've learned over time is that uh, to temper my own my own ego um, as a teacher and to, to try to understand that I have these kids in my classroom um, when they leave this classroom, I have no idea what, what else is going on. 
Um, especially, I mean, it's uh, very apparent now with, with this Zoom stuff. I have no idea what the home environment is like. I have no clue. Um, and the, you know, I guess the biggest life lesson I've, I've learned with, with dealing with um, high school kids in, in particular is just a, a little bit of empathy go, goes a long way, a little bit of understanding. Uh, I'd rather make a mistake um, on your behalf as, as a student then make a mistake where I, I come down hard on somebody and I'm, you know, I'm the straw that broke the camel's back for, for that kid. And just, you know, for you know, future teachers understanding, like our, our job is primarily it's, it's these kids. It doesn't seem like that a lot of times, right? We get lots of paperwork, lots of meetings, lots of other stuff that seems to just constantly get in the way of what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, but they are, that's our primary job. You know, they're, I wouldn't say that they're our, our customers, they're, they're under our, our guidance, they're under our care. Um, and it, it's our job to figure out each one of these kids, to, to figure out what motivates them. And um, some, some kids are going to live and die by deadlines, right? They, they love those deadlines, they love that structure. Others are going to need a, a little bit of flexibility. Um, and, and being flexible, being able to adapt and, and improvise over time is absolutely a critical life skill. Um, I think with, with any occupation, but definitely with, with teaching, most definitely. All right, so kids learn in so many different ways that it's hard for a teacher to be able to just be able to adapt to each and every one of them. Not everyone's going to learn the same. Some kids are at the top of the totem pole and are going to have that 4-0. They're going to get a 5 on the AP exam. And then there's other kids that are going to have to work really hard to be able to attain that A and attain the goal that they want to achieve obviously you know i'm i'm a firm believer in that you are more than just a number no matter how you do but in the thing about being a teacher is i'm sure that like i'll, I'll be the first to admit it i got a two on the ap government exam <laughs> but <Sorry. laughs> but, it, but the thing is i walked out of that classroom and i really learned something like i understood politics way better than i walked in and at the end of the day I feel like as a teacher that that's way, way more beneficial than the score. Obviously, it helps you out with how you're doing and how your students are performing on the exam. But the, the main goal is to be able to leave a lasting impression and being able to have that lasting knowledge into a kid's you know, adult life, especially the young adult life, to make a more informed opinion about whatever topic it is. Right. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, like I said before, I, I definitely want them to succeed and and to at least get a three on, on the exam. Sorry, <laughs> but, Mr. Sotzer. <laughs> that's, that's all right. Uh, but again, like, even in that case, I consider myself like I'm 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 the commander and this this is my platoon. And if, if somebody didn't didn't cut uh, cut the grade on, on that day, um, I look at that. Well, what what can I do different? What can I do different next year so that the the numbers go up and up and up for the kids? So that you know they're going to get, aside from the, the benefit that they're they're definitely going to know more about the American political system and American civics. Um, what else can I do to to adapt? And you're you're hit the nail on the head when you do have this many kids in a classroom. Um, everybody's at a different point and. I always ask that question the first day, how many of you took this class because you really, really like politics and you really like government? I might get one hand per class. And I think, all right, well, <laughs> I know it's gonna be, um, be an uphill battle here, um, but being able to figure out what it is that it's kind of like the hook 
for each of the kids. I mean, that's, that's a difficult part of teaching that I don't think it can be taught, um, you know, when you're a student teacher or whatever. It's just something that you, you try to develop and you own over time. And, and sometimes you're, you're going to get them, and other times you're, you're not. Um, you know, whether it's measuring up on the AP exam or somebody feels like they uh, were, were lost in the class all year, um, and part of that, too, is just making sure that, you know, communication lines are open and non-judgmental. I'm not going to get mad at somebody if they tell me that I'm boring them to death. If anything, that's, I, I'm thankful for that because if, if you're telling me I'm extraordinarily boring, then that means somebody else is thinking that, too. So maybe I need to adjust uh, what I'm doing a little bit. I, I did it last week with the kids on Friday. We, we hit the brakes, and I said, how are things? You know, just how are things going with, with this virtual business? What can I do right now to, to make things better? And their answer overwhelmingly was, we, we need some time to get caught up on some work because we're getting slammed here and there. And I said, okay, you got it. Friday, you got it. Just, you can get caught up today on, on whatever you got to do. And, you know, going forward, if you need some more time or something, then you need, it is what it is. You need some more, more time. Um, and I think that that goes a long way of establishing that rapport and trust with the kids, and then I think that leads to them taking a little bit more from the class. They're they're invested a little bit more in the class when when you can establish rapport with them. Uh, but there's I mean it's when you're dealing with 120 new individuals every year, there's always that potential where you know whether it's because of me or something that's outside of anybody's control, somebody's not going to get it. Um, and the the best response to that is still just. See him in the hallway and, hey, what's going on, Billy? It's good to see you, man. You know, just still being that, you know, a personable individual in, in their life, regardless of, of what they do in class. Well, that's that moment that you need to be able to self-reflect on anything that you do because, like you were saying, you sometimes you got to hit the brakes and just stop everything for a second because you're not – you have too many things going on at once. You're really cutting yourself too thin, as I like to say, that – and when you really self-reflect, that's when you can, you know, learn something, realize like, oh, I did this well, I did this well, but I did this very poorly. And right. that's how you evolve as a human and just be able to attain more knowledge. The more you, guys, the more you learn, the more you'll be able to make an informed opinion, the more you'll be able to understand more people. That's why I like, I like this podcast because I'm, I've talked to so far, I mean, 13, this will be my 13th person. Oh, no, that's a lie. This will be my 11th person. And just the, the more people that I've talked to, the better I think I've learned about humanity as a whole because all these people are coming from different backgrounds. Like everyone has their, I'd like to say that everyone has their own story. You could grow up in the same town and live two completely different lives, which I mean, it is insane. I, 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 that's something I really like to learn about is just the concept of wisdom. And Mr. Seltzer, before we get into the quote segment, the question I like to ask everyone is if you had one piece of life advice or wisdom to pass on from you to everyone else, what would that piece of advice be? Um, first of all, I feel like, man, I have made it in my, in my life or in my career that I have somebody asking me, what's the, uh, what's the life advice and wisdom to pass on? Um, and I'm going to echo something my, a, a teacher that I liked a lot when, when I was in school that um, inspired me. Like I, I read a lot about science and I, I, I still love science now. It's mostly because of Mr. Elvidge, my, my 10th grade uh, biology teacher. 
Um, we we're, we're talking, I, I don't remember the exact context that we were talking, we were, but, but the, the concept of fear came up and I think he was, he was busting on somebody for being afraid to ask somebody else out. And we got into this discussion about what, what fear actually is. And what, what really stuck with me is that as a species, you know, we're hardwired for, for fear. We're hardwired to be looking for threats and that in our environment now, I'm not worried about going out to my car and being jumped by like, you know, a saber-toothed tiger or something. Like I'm, th those threats are largely eliminated um, in our lives. And a lot of the times when we're, we're feeling fear, we're feeling anxiety, um, it's, a lot of it is, is made up in, in our head. And that it's not, it's not real. It's not a real tangible thing. And that there's so much that you can do that the only thing that, that's in the way is it's you. It's this mush inside of your, your skull is, is interpreting things in a certain way. You know, declare um, martial law on your mind, you know, and you are in control. Don't let the reptilian part of your brain uh, call the shots all the time. There's times when it's appropriate, right? If you're getting chased by a dog or something, right? <laughs> it's times when it's appropriate. But other times, being driven by fear, like absolutely not. Um, if you're, you're afraid to, I, I don't know if you're, you want to switch majors midstream and you're afraid of what's going to happen in the future. We, we, we referred to this earlier about the, uh, the anxieties of the future. Well, I mean, if it's, if, if it's beating in your heart that this is what you want to do, just do it. Um, if there's that, that special someone you want to talk to, what is the worst that can happen? You're going to feel dejected for a little bit if they say no, but then you know, your, your heart will still be beating and, you know, you'll still be able to eat, you know, sun will still come up and you, you'll be, you'll be good to go. So just, um, you know, realize that well, a lot of times when you feel fear, it is because of a very particular part of your brain uh, that evolved a real long time ago. And there's this other newer, awesome part of your brain right up front here um, that, that can kind of tell that other part to knock it off. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to give this a shot regardless. And I'm not saying jump out of an airplane without a parachute or something, uh, but you know, where you feel that fear, if you're you know, intimidated about going to a gym to work out or whatever, just, just go. Just, just go challenge yourself. Go and realize that your brain's playing tricks on you. And that's the, that's the thing. I like the fact that you're saying just like, go do it, like go do it. No, who then I, again, I'll, I bring it up a lot. Like, don't worry about someone else's opinion because at the end of the day, who, who cares? Right. Like they don't care about you at the end of the day. They're just saying it because they want like, they're just mean. They just don't have any empathy whatsoever. The more you can, the more empathetic you are, the more you understand, the more you'll be able to make that judgment or really think twice about what you're going to say. And also, I like that you were saying that how we've evolved over time to, you know, have this inclination of what to, you know, really what to think instead of, you know, that um, the animal instinct have you of, you know, making, you know, obviously running away from the dog, like you were saying <laughs> that you're going to run away from the dog. But the fact that you you really do think for yourself at the end of the day, if you if you are sad you're sad because you're like, you're thinking you're sad. Right. You, and obviously things happen and you can have that time to grieve or have that time to be sad. But at the end of the day, when you want to, when you need to get up, you got to get up. It's, it's up to you. It, it really is up to you. No matter doesn't, no one affects, no one affects your internal decision more than yourself. Yep. Yeah, sure. Um, 
you know, there's, there, I mean, obviously there, there's things in, in, in people's lives where there's, uh, like you said, there's traumatic events people might go through that are, that are going to leave lasting impressions on them um, that, that are hard to, hard to get around, but, but there's, you can get around it. You can absolutely get around it. It may, it may take help of friends. It, it may take who knows, therapy, what, what have you, but you, you can get around it as if you starts with an understanding that the front part of your brain is trying to make sense of what the, the oldest part of your brain is telling it. And that front part of the brain happens to be that that's you, right? That your your prefrontal cortex there. That that's all you. Um, and you can you can do wonders when you just just give it a shot. You'd be surprised, but a lot of people sell themselves short of what they're capable of. Love Mr. Seltzer. So before I end the show here, um, every time I end the show with uh, the quote segment. So, Mr. Seltzer, what quote do you really like and really really hold dear to you that kind of you know, helps you through the bad times and you, or you just like look back on, you think it's a great thing to just, you know, pass on to someone else. Yeah. Um, well, this is really brief. Um, it's from a, uh, another guy that I, I enjoy his podcast. I have his books um, and I, I admire him. I think he's an awesome guy. Um, his name is Jocko Willink is a, a former uh, commander or Lieutenant commander in the Navy SEAL. Uh, but his, it's a motto of his really, and it's, it's discipline equals freedom. You know, if, if I really want to attain, um, I don't know, if I, if I want to lose 30 pounds, well, in my mind is, all right, well, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I'm going to employ the personal discipline to, to do it. If, if I want to finish reading this book, I'm just going to do it because I'm going to sacrifice other things because this is what's important to me right now. And that's, that's what that unmitigated personal daily discipline is in, in everything uh, that, that you want to accomplish. Um, and I, I have that hanging on my wall in my classroom. Um, I, I listen to him all the time when I'm, when I'm in the car coming in to kind of get pumped up and <laughs> ready. Um, and then he's got another one that's just one word that is when bad things happen, um, the, the, your response is, well, good, good. Um, and that we're, we're going to make it. We're going to figure out some way, somehow we're going to make this, this happen. We found out that school was shutting down earlier last year. Good. We're going to figure this out. Um, it's going to be all right. It's just another challenge that I can look back in the past and say, look what I did. When everybody else was running around with their hair on fire, I kept calm, cool, collect, and I had a plan. Uh, so, yeah, discipline equals freedom um, is definitely something that, that rings through my mind constantly. Come when I'm feeling that inclination, I'm going to lay on the couch and, <laughs> you know, start digging into some leftover pizza or something. But at the same time, being, you know, unhappy with, um, I don't know, not being able to lift something up that I should be able to lift up. Oh, I'm going to go take care of what I got to take care of. Then it's a, it's a choice. It's employing that, that discipline. Of course, Mr. Seltzer. And thank you so much for coming on the show today and taking some time out of your, you know, busy schedule to just, you know, really have a good conversation with me about like the things that you learned, you know, your opinion on your opinion on being a teacher, you know, what you've learned so far throughout life and, um, before I turn off the mics, Mr. Seltzer, is there anything that you want to plug? Obviously, go take if you go to Springfield, go take AP government or AP U.S. <laughs> history. Yeah, definitely. We um, our our gov courses tend to be pretty pretty popular. Uh, a push. I think there is uh, maybe some rumors out there that it, that it's really really hard, but it's not. It's so it's so interesting and it's worth the work. Um, but what was what was the other part that that you said there? To yeah, anything to that you want to plug? You know, uh, Mr. Seltzer's got Twitter. 
It's awesome. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, at the real B Seltz <laughs> on Twitter. But I, I can tell you, I just, I just received. I kept referring to this book. Um, I, I get nothing from from anybody who purchases this thing, um, other than knowledge that you're going to know a little bit more um, about the Constitution of the United States. It's by Linda Monk, who I was super excited. A little fanboy moment the other day on Twitter uh, when she retweeted me. And um, is sending me some signed book plates from here. Uh, she's got her Juris Doctorate from, uh, I think, Harvard, I, I believe. Uh, but absolutely amazing, readable text about the Constitution, about the historical context um, behind every part of the Constitution, and in some cases how this has changed or been argued about over time. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's not a it's not a real hefty read, right? So it's not going to take you forever. And it could be something you could just have hanging around that if it's popping up in the news that, um, I don't know, somebody's talking about the 25th Amendment and you don't know what that is. And there you go. And, then, and Linda Monk does a fair job of the representation of, of what those words mean. I mean, it's not a, uh, not a political bias to get you to believe one thing or another. It's just kind of clarification of, of what, what the terms happen to mean. So this is uh, the words we live by. Uh, by by Linda Monk, I, I suggest that to to anybody interested in learning more about the Constitution. And it looked like it had pictures, so that's always yes, a it does. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So again, Mr. Seltzer, thank you for coming on the show today. And guys, that's a wrap for episode three of the Ronan Bell Show. Um, if you guys aren't already, make sure you follow this podcast, whatever it is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So you get notified whenever a new podcast comes out. Also, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you. Subscribe to me. Make sure you hit that bell so you get notified when a new video comes out. And lastly, I have merchandise. Make sure you go cop some Keep On Keeping On merch to help your boy out. And guys, that's pretty much it. And that's all I got today. Thank you, uh, Mr. Seltzer, once again. Guys, have a great rest of your day. And as always, y'all just keep on keeping on.